Welcome to the Bleeding Cincy Red podcast, hosted by your two favorite diehard Reds fans, Robert Lee Brewer and yours truly, Brian A. Clems. We're very, very excited to kick off the 2019 season and uh, take a look at this reshaped and improved Cincinnati Reds team that's attempting to not only avoid 90 losses this year, but hopefully make some noise in the NL Central, which honestly may be baseball's toughest division. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Anyway, on today's podcast, we're going to focus on the new coaching staff, the trades, and the new members of the 2019 Cincinnati Reds team and more, and uh, what they all mean going in to hopefully this season where we turn things around. As always, we are not affiliated with the Cincinnati Reds or Major League Baseball. We are just two lifelong fans who bleed Cincy Red. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Red without a G. As we keep that updated, even when the podcast goes on winter hiatus. We're very active there, and uh, especially Robert, and are almost at 350 followers. So uh, we'd love for you to be number 350. Thanks for your support. Anyway, let's kick off our third year of this podcast with the sweet sounds of our intro music. Go Reds! really exciting to uh to be back yeah uh there's been quite a bit uh that's happened since we took our little winter hiatus that uh you mentioned in the intro there um three three different trades that uh happened yeah very unusual off season for the reds at least in recent years it seems like all our trades happened at the trade deadline <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead yeah, of we're usually like shuffling people out of the door and uh yeah we barely collecting a bunch it. of people we don't know their names we have to do a lot of study like <laughs> who are these people <laughs> <laughs> this guy's name's rookie <laughs> yeah. it looks bad <laughs> <laughs> they just they just start <laughs> yeah this is player let's, let's have <laughs> Rookie player. <laughs> yeah, you just got to trust in the organization at that point and, uh, and hope, hope, hope that those guys start to pan out. But, uh, you know, we've yeah, had some real hits and misses as trades in the pa- of trades in the past for sure. And uh, we're hoping for some big hits with these trades that they made this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that we want to talk about a bunch of different stuff happening over the offseason, but I found this really cool uh, article – Posted at the end of last year on the blog Red Machine, and it has, it's just titled Five Offseason Moves to Be Contenders in 2019. It's by uh, Drew Koch. And um, I'm just going to run through them, and uh, for each one, we can kind of maybe uh, talk a little bit about whether the Reds have hit their. So the number five on the list was. Find an up-and-coming manager to replace Jim Riggleman, which I think the Reds are doing an all right job with. How about you? Yeah, I actually when they were they were talking about all the potential contenders with Joe Girardi and uh, uh, John Farrell and some of the other ones, the name that was sticking out to me throughout that whole interview process was David Bell, uh, and not just because he he deep down is a uh, has Cincinnati roots. I remember watching Buddy Bell uh, very early when I was young. Um, I know Gus Bell had a great story career in baseball and for the Reds. Um, but really, when you look at David Bell's background, um, playing in 12 major league seasons, so he's got the credibility of being a former player, um, had some success. Uh, he, and then he went on and he's managed in minor league ball for the Reds. Uh, he went on to be a bench coach in St. Louis. Uh, he was a third base coach for the Cubs. And then... A, uh, if I read that correctly, a vice president for player development in San Francisco. And that's really the one that I, I think is key here because I, I, I read several articles in the offseason leading up to the hiring about how 
he, he's done a lot by way of understanding scouting while also embracing analytics and trying to find that that sweet spot of how to merge the knowledge from both and use them to successfully uh, build a winning baseball team all the way up from from what a player does individually to what uh, players do as part of a team and I really like that concept and that philosophy and so because of that I, I'm actually very excited I know it's not a sexy um, pick you know I, I know that it's not it doesn't have the big name draw that a lot of other managers do but I still think it's a, a, a smart pick yeah I'm when, once I started learning about his uh, as you mentioned analytics combined with the actual like play you know what you see with your eyeballs but i felt like what the reds really needed was um somebody ready for the 21st century of baseball and that's really getting into analytics and um you know i i think you know analytics can be a little overkill at times but uh sometimes i feel like um they're just completely ignored by the managers when like in some obvious places during games so uh, so that was very exciting to to see that. And then to see the Bell, another generation of the Bells being connected to the Reds, for me, um, I'm really into like the tradition and stuff of Cincinnati Reds, and uh, it's really cool to see um, another Bell join uh, the Reds organization. And um, as a coach, it's really cool. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be I, – I think he's going to be – what this team needs at the moment. And on top of that, um, they really have hired pretty much a whole new staff. And, and the two right. key people I've been thinking about, and I, I want your take on these. And first, we'll start with uh, the uh, new pitching coach, Derek mm-hmm. Johnson. And we stole him away from Milwaukee. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, I've, I've only heard good things about him. So I am really optimistic about what's going to happen um, as far as, you know, I think um, the veterans, like I'm excited about the veterans that are coming in and and we'll talk about these uh, trades for starters. Everything I've heard about this pitching coach is, um, has been Sterling. Great, great talk. So I am, I'm excited to see um, his impact on pitchers beyond 2019, because I feel like we kind of have the rotation kind of somewhat set and almost hard in stone already. But then we've got a lot of young pitching prospects that are ready to make the jump. And I'm assuming that some of them are going to be making the jump either at the end of this year and, or the very beginning of next year. And, and I think that, um, you know, this, this is going to help uh, yeah. a great deal. I, I think this was a very smart pickup. He won me over last year when one at the beginning of the year, all the the metrics were suggesting that Milwaukee would just be an okay team. And you looked at their pitching staff, and you're like, Ugh, our, our our pitching staff looked like it had more potential than their staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe not bullpen, um, but at least from the starting standpoint of things. And as the year rolled on, they just continued to win games. And they mm-hmm. scored lots of runs. I mean, Christian Yelich was amazing. And Lorenzo Cain had <laughs> probably his best year. Um, but the pitching was able to keep them in games and I attribute a lot of that to their pitching coach. And when I, what, what completely just, just wowed me was in the postseason when Milwaukee was playing the Dodgers to go to the world series. And I think it was game, it was either game five or game six where they came out and Milwaukee uh, had Wade Miley scheduled to start. He came out and threw to one batter and then they took him out of the game and it was all a smart mental mind game because the Dodgers have so many players and they would base their lineup using the saber metrics and uh and the the stats to do righty lefties and completely threw everything off and I just thought that was not just a genius move but a fun move I mean Milwaukee lost Mm -hmm. the game but that's beside the point like I love Mm -hmm. the fact that they were realizing that they were overmatched and that in order to win they were going to have to use deception and be smarter than than the other team and I thought that was a really cool thing, and he sold his pitchers on doing that, mm-hmm. and that's I think I think really important. So yeah, and in fact, like you know, you can even look at uh, Wade Miley's performance last year um, compared to 
uh, a few of the years previous and like he just improved so much last year that like for me like that just kind of solidifies um how good of a pitching coach you know i know wait Wade Miley, you know, like all, all the players deserve the credit for what they do, but I feel like the coaches um, sometimes are, are undersold on on ways that they can help pitchers identify ways to improve. Like I, I look at like what the Reds did last year with Matt Harvey and they were able to like own in on like one or two little technique things that improved his performance due to the end of the year. And I, I, I feel like, you know, just looking at how the Brewers performed last year, the pitchers performed, they all outdid themselves. And like you said, like that that move in the playoffs, for me, like that's what a good coach does. Like what separates a great coach from just a coach that shows up and you know does what they're supposed to do. You know, you you have like the Bill Belichicks of the world, like in football, that do the opposite of what everyone predicts they're going to do all week. They show up for the game. They do something completely different. It just throws uh, the other team into chaos, having to react to, whoa, we thought they were going to do X, and now they're doing Y. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, I love I love people that take calculated risks. They're smart risks. I know when Bill right. Belichick, a lot of people wave me like, I can't believe he's doing that. But if you actually look at the numbers, it is the right move. It's just everybody's mm-hmm. always yeah. nervous to do it. And in, in this particular case, to me, it, it made complete sense that he would uh, try that deception and, and try to fool that team, that Dodger team in particular, mm-hmm. to give themselves an edge to move forward. And well, I, and then that one particular spot too. Like, yes, you know, you're not doing that throughout the whole season. No. but you know, you pick your spot, and like that's, you know, as, as you said, you know, like it, it ultimately um, didn't work, but it's the right, it's the right move to make, and. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. Look, looking between the Dodgers and the, the Brewers going into that matchup, I, I thought it wasn't even close. I thought the Dodgers' right. pitching staff was better. Maybe not their bullpen, but their starters were better. The offense, uh, Milwaukee's offense was great, but in, in the playoff atmosphere where the other guys have experience for being there for the past couple of years, um, mm-hmm. I, I just thought they had a great edge. And Milwaukee took that to seven games. And I put a lot of that, I mean, all in, in the players and the manager, but I think the pitching coach was a big reason for that. So I'm glad he's on our side now. Yeah, exactly. Um, we we also I also want to quickly talk about uh, the new hitting coach Turner Ward, and we stole him from the Dodgers. And yeah. uh, and so what what did you think about that when you heard that news? Well, for for me, sometimes like the coaches, like I, it's hard to go like one way or the other. But I will tell you that uh, after uh, Yaziel Puig's. Um, Cincinnati appearance uh, earlier in the week, uh, the end of January. Uh, he specifically mentioned that you know he was excited because that he came to the Reds because his hitting coach is here. Yeah, I. It's funny because I I never think too much about. I always think hitting coaches are overrated. I, I think that pitching coaches are uh, generally uh, more valuable. Um, because they can find little things, and I know they can still. I know hitting coaches can do this in swings, but the hitters are so unique. Their styles are are so incredibly mm-hmm. different that it's hard for me to imagine the hitting coach having that much of an effect. But, but I mean, if you look at the results that Turner Ward has turned in in the past three years with the Dodgers, two to three years with the Dodgers, I mean, he rejuvenated Matt Kemp's career. Right. Maybe right. Matt Kemp. I, maybe these players all did it individually. Maybe. But I just know that when Matt Kemp came back. Um, he became a great hitter again, for, at least for the first half of the season, and uh, and then right again at the end. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, he uh, had turned nearly every rookie that came up into a great hitter in like Cody Bellinger and uh, Seager. Um, and he took Max Muncie, who was designated for assignment by Oakland, and turned that guy into a 30-plus home run hitter. So... Um, who was probably their cleanup hitter, I think, throughout a lot of the season. So th- this guy does have a track record, and there is evidence suggesting that he has, has really helped some players. Plus, with the confidence told by by Puig, uh, I, I think, uh, again, another smart hire. Like This, to me, has been kind of the opposite offseason when it comes to coaching and, and uh, managerial picks and that kind of stuff by the Reds. 
I feel like they really spent time and did the research and homework and, and brought in the right people for this team at this moment in time. Right. And, and, you know, I, I've really got to applaud uh, the Reds just not promoting the easy hire that was already available. And um, that's not the uh, slight other former Reds coaches and managers and stuff, but, but it is cool to actually see them reaching outside the organization and also to see them not just going to the names that everyone outside of the organization says that they should go for, but actually uh, it really looks like, like, as you said, like they actually did their homework and, um, and and did, did their research. And I mean, a lot of their off season moves so far, um, whether it's coaches or players like kind of backs up. Like I I feel like uh, there have been times in the past where people have criticized the Cincinnati Reds front office um, for some of their moves, I, I feel like it's really hard to look at this off season and, and find, like, I feel like if you're finding things wrong with um, some of these moves, like you're nitpicking or you're just like trying to be negative about <laughs> what the Reds are doing. Or, like, or you are a diehard Homer Bailey fan. So yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, Getting back to this uh, five off-season moves list, uh, number four is replace Billy Hamilton uh, with uh, the thought process that Billy Hamilton is an amazing center fielder, amazing on the base paths, but uh, couldn't get on base. I don't know if the Reds have exactly replaced Billy Hamilton for 2019. Um, I know that they've talked about kind of uh, alternating Shebler and Puig there. Uh, maybe uh, Phil Irvin or Mason Williams can kind of play some um, in some of the larger ballparks if they make the team. Um, but I feel like, and then this is just my thought on this, is that uh, the Reds have some very talented center fielders that are getting close to the majors. So if they can kind of like band-aid it through this year um the solution may be there at the end of this year or the beginning of next year what do you think i i'm on board with you um the one name you didn't mention that's been talked about a little bit is nick senzel out there too there's been talking right. about him practicing and everything i'm i'm a hundred percent on board with going with the guys that we have and putting them out there and we're going to sacrifice defense for it but the offense is just going to take a major upgrade um I was having a discussion with my buddies the other night. We were out and we were chatting, and a couple were very anti, you know, try and send Zell in center just for the year. Um, some were for it. Um, I, I'm in the camp that I honestly have no idea. I, I don't know him well enough, in, uh, mm-hmm. and he hasn't done enough out there. But he sounds to be athletic enough. If the Reds seem to believe that he'll be fine, then I'm going to trust in them and think, hey, he'll be fine. And if it adds another great bat in the lineup, that sounds good to me. I, if yeah. not, I, I'm pro Yasiel Puig out there personally. I don't know what they'll do, and I know there is some concern, but he has a great arm, and our ballpark is not that big. Again, I, I would tell him the same thing that I would tell anybody we put out there who's not a natural center fielder, which is uh, we just do your best. Just do your best. Yeah. You'll make up for it with the bat and then some, and I'm okay right, with exactly. that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I feel like, you know, Shebler times played – like, you know, obviously, if you put Shebler's performance against Billy Hamilton's performance in center field, it's not even close. Uh, put Puig against Billy Hamilton, it's not going to be close defensively. But um, every other team in the major league, when the Reds had Billy Hamilton, every other team did not have Billy Hamilton. So, I mean, like yeah. it's not like every team has a Billy Hamilton or an Enciarte or, you know, there's there's just a few that like make amazing plays in center field every game, but there's still teams that are winning games uh, without that sparkling glove, and they make up for it by having a better than a 300 on base percentage, and you know right. either hitting home runs or getting on base and yeah. scoring runs. And I know I know for uh, I know we're a little spoiled. 
because we definitely had the defense of Billy Hamilton and before that Drew Stubbs. So we've had these guys before who, who don't hit for offense and power um, or anything, uh, but can make great defensive plays. And the truth is, the last one of the last center fielders we had, whom I remember being a, a massively great hitter out there, he was pretty good defensively, but really a better hitter, was Josh Hamilton. And remember how excited we were when we had him, you know? Right. And uh, I, honestly, I'd rather be having a Josh Hamilton out there than a Billy Hamilton. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, if if Puig makes all the just normal plays that you expect somebody to make out there, like even if he's not making all the the gems, but he's hitting like 30, 40 home runs because he's in Great American Ballpark, I'm going to be excited every game that he's out there. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so then number three on this list is get two starters from free agency, not named Matt Harvey. And <laughs> they didn't do this. <laughs> I like it. not named Matt Harvey aside with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So the Reds actually got three starters, and they didn't do it through free agency. They did it through trades. And um, the first... <laughs> The first trade that the Reds made was a notable because a Tanner was traded for a Tanner. And that was Tanner Rainey, who was a prospect in the Red system, uh, who really, he, he maxed out as like a possible like closer eventually, um, which I, I think is okay to trade um, for Tanner Rourke from the Nationals. And um, it's interesting, uh, we actually have a poll up uh, that I'd put up on Twitter with like over 100-something votes, and um, out of all the players that the Reds traded for, uh, it looks like he's received one vote now. So, so out of 118 <laughs> votes, it looks like Tanner Rourke has received one vote out of uh, like the four big names who are you most excited about. But... Uh, Tanner Rourke is a very solid starter who has um, actually has the best war of wins above replacement of uh, any of the acquisitions the Reds have made and um, over the past three years and out of last year as well. And like four out of his last five seasons, he's pitched 180 plus innings, which the Reds sorely need uh, that kind of starting presence. Though I think Luis Castillo is showing that, you know, going forward into this year, I think he's a 180-plus inning pitcher as well. This season rests on him a lot. And if he makes that another jump forward, like mm -hmm. we kind of see at times and he's progressing and this will be, you know, year two and a half for him. Uh, I, I think he has the potential to be the ace. And Tanner Work fills that need. I... Oh, man, we would talk about how, how terrible it was just to watch these guys only pitch four and a third innings over and over, or not make it into the fourth, you know? And that would be yeah. so frustrating, whereas Tanner Rourke's going to do that kind of thing. And, and trading, uh, you know, a bull, potential bullpen arm ne never – I mean, if you're getting upset about trading a, a potential bullpen arm for a guy who throws 180 innings, or for nearly anyone for that matter, yeah. I, I think you're overthinking this. And I, I've been a bit big advocate the past year or two about, I think the, <laughs> this is, this is my, my big, my big thing. I think the Reds should be willing to trade any pitching prospect they have ever, ever mm -hmm. for anything, not, not for anything, but like in a smart trade, I would be always pushing our pitching prospects above any of our hitting prospects. And my reasoning is this, is that we, for whatever reason, are terrible terrible at developing these pitchers into to great pitchers if you look in the past and, and correct me if i'm wrong you may think of more people but I, when i asked around i was like who are the 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 two mo not including anyone currently pitching for the reds but after that who are the two most recent starters that the reds developed that you would consider good or great and the only two i can come up with i, I say who can you name and i can only come up with two and it's johnny cueto and then before that tom browning and right. if you look yeah. between there, I mean, that's a pretty big that, – that's not many people. Yeah, it's not. And, and like, even, like, a Luis Castillo, people might say, well, he started off in the minors for the Reds, but 
he barely played in the minors for the Reds. He did most of his time in the Marlins organization. Started a season in the minors for the Reds, but like that same season is when he came up to the Reds. So it's yeah. not like he really was developed uh, by our organization. Um, you, you have people like Robert Stevenson, um, Homer Bailey, who had his moments, but like he, like I, I think you know at best. He was putting up like you know number four, number three numbers at best. Uh, even though we gave him the Reds gave him that great contract, they they really paid him, overpaid, uh, even just based off the performance he had at the time. I think just hoping that he was going to ascend to like a, a higher level than he had so far. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you when you when you look at our history, the Reds' history. Uh, for whatever reason, we're able to churn out hitters like it's nobody's business and develop hitters, but uh, uh, the pitching is a lot sketchier as far as, you know, we'll, we'll have, like, pitchers who are on the top 100 uh, prospect list, top 50 prospect list, um, and then for whatever reason, they get up to the majors and, you know, lay an egg. So yes, uh, I'm with you. I'm with sure. you. Like, I, I feel... I feel a lot when we look at like our top prospects right now, I see Sincel and Trammell as like two people who are um, locked and loaded. And I look at Hunter Green and I see all the potential, but then there's like part of me that's like afraid, like, is is this going to be like, you know, the other pitchers? I'm, I'm yeah. hopeful that, you know, he's such a hot, such a can't miss in quotes prospect that, you know, he's really going to be a can't miss, but, um, I love Hunter green. I think he's great. And he seems like a great person too, on top of mm -hmm. everything. And yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent for trading him because I don't think he'll <laughs> see me successful here. I think he will need to be successful somewhere else. And I want to see that happen, but he can bring in some very successful current pieces. And that's mm -hmm. why I, as far as I'm concerned, no pitching prospect should ever be off the table, uh, for trades when it comes to the reds. Right. Yeah. Um, so then uh, the next trade that the Reds, the next uh, big trade that the Reds made, uh, actually accomplished number one on this five-part list. That um, was to cut ties with Homer Bailey. And uh, to see the Reds ship Homer Bailey out of Cincinnati in and of itself is like a big deal. But uh, getting three all-stars in return for Homer Bailey. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And, uh, you know, sure, the, the Reds had to include Jeter Downs, which was, like, kind of a cool prospect. And uh, Josiah Gray, who was actually one of my favorite draft picks from this past uh, draft for the Reds. But, uh, golly, uh, getting, rid of, getting rid of Homer Bailey and getting Yasiel Puig, and um, Matt Kemp and Alex Wood, uh, that's a big deal. And, like, Kyle Farmer was involved, too. Um, so we'll, we'll see if he makes the roster or not. But uh, uh, Kemp, Wood, and Puig, that's, that's a pretty big deal. This may be one of the best trades that the Reds have made in the past several years. And we, we made some good trades. Uh, the, I mean, the, I think one of the best trades we made clearly was Alfredo Simon for uh, Suarez. Um, and picking up Castilla for Dan Straley has been good. Um, although Straley's certainly been very respectable down there in the Marlins, but this trade alone being able to, to remove Homer and I don't hate Homer. Like I, I, I've never been a Homer hater or anything like that. I've always liked him. I thought he was good. I enjoyed his two no hitters. Um, I thought he was masterful in that 2012 playoff game that we ended up losing, but it wasn't because of him. And, uh, and then I think he really did just have some bad luck with arm problems. So we don't, we really won't know how good he was going to be. But he had no place in this rotation. He was just bad last year. And I know you and I tried to dissect it. And even like we, we could cut out periods where he wasn't too bad. And, and you could see maybe glimmers of hope. But by the as the year rolled on, you just saw he wasn't a fit anymore. And he had a really big salary for a guy to sit on the bench and a guy who didn't want to go to the bullpen. And you really don't want to keep around a guy who's who's unhappy and doesn't want to be with your team if you're not gonna if you don't really want him with the team either. So being able to flip him and those prospects, and Jeter Downs is a good prospect, but he was like fourth or fifth 
in, in the chain uh, of second baseman that we have. And so he, he wasn't going to see time for a long time. And again, I have no problems trading any starting pitcher or relief pitcher in our minor league system yeah, if yeah. it nets us anything. So I made my stance on that pretty clear. And I will continue to do so until the Reds prove me wrong. Um, and being able to pick up Matt Kemp, who's rejuvenated, who if it were if it were possible, I would even flip him. I, I would be trying to flip him because we have a glut of outfielders now. And, um, and Yasiel Puig, whom I love. I love this guy. I've loved this guy for years. And I know, uh, like you were saying, like he's been a big hit in Cincinnati so far. He's definitely a guy people are going to love, love him or hate him um, because he's got such a big personality. I love it. I think it's good for baseball. I think it's good for the Reds. And and I want to throw this out there about Yasiel Puig. And, uh, and, and before I even talk about Alex Wood or you and I talk about Alex Wood, Yasiel Puig, uh, in his numbers over the years, have been good not necessarily great last year he had a really really good season and i want to break these numbers down so when you you hear people on twitter or read it or us he's like he's gonna have a monster year in great american ballpark right like like we all kind of think this and then we're like well maybe we're jumping the gun but i looked at the the split stats from last year at dodger stadium he played 67 games had six home runs 28 rbi a 243 batting average uh under 300 on base percentage, it was 294, and his total OPS was uh, 686. At every other stadium last year in the away games, and he played fewer games there, 58 games, he had 17 homers compared to the six that he hit at Dodger Stadium, 35 RBI, which was seven more than he had at Dodger Stadium. His batting average is his batting average was 292. His on-base percentage was 359, and his OPS was 965. And keep in mind, I looked this up out of curiosity. His uh, batting average on balls in play, his, I don't know how you, B-A-B-I-P, I don't know if you can pronounce that. If you can, you're smarter than I am. You're smarter than I am anyway. <laughs> but his, his, his B-A-B-I-P was actually worse on the road, which means he was unluckier on the road than he was at home at Dodger Stadium, and, and which blows my mind that his splits were that good. And that is why I believe he's going to have a monster year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you could definitely make a case for week, but Tony uh, Gray, who we'll talk about in a little bit as well, when you look at their home versus away splits, like there's a stark contrast in both of them. And both teams were kind of, or, or both players were sort of, um, dogged by, um, I don't know if controversy is the best way to put it, but like, but both seem like, you know, they, they could be the type of, they had seasons where like, it seemed like they were maybe under the microscope more when they were playing at home. And sometimes that can affect you being at home. Like not even that, that you're taking into account people like, uh, shouting at you from the stands uh, to, to play better, but just uh, uh, it's almost like you want to do so well at home that you put too much pressure on yourself and you end up doing worse. <laughs> uh, and and there, there's a case that could be made that maybe both of them had some kind of psychological block when they were at home, uh, Sonny Gray and uh, Yaziel Puig, because uh, like you said, like his numbers are so much better um on the road last year. And, um, uh, you, you know, I, I found a clip, I shared it on Twitter, uh, where he had hit five home runs in 24 hours against the St. Louis Cardinals. And when I found that clip and saw what team he did it against, I was like, man, <laughs> love this awesome guy. To see him do that on the Reds. <laughs> <laughs> love this guy. I remember that two game stretch. Cause, uh, I was watching it because of fantasy baseball, uh, implications <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, uh, excited to see him hit all those and yeah, against, uh, one of our top foes, it, it, it was just great. And so. I, I love people who have like connections to like the tradition of the Reds. Like that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I, it's one of the reasons why like the David Bell hire, like, I, I don't feel like the Reds should have hired him just because of the tradition connection. But it just adds a little extra something to it. And one thing that I loved about uh, Puig saying recently is that he's hoping that Tony Perez um, is around the team in spring training and like during the season because 
he loves Tony Perez so much. And like just having like that, those types of connections uh, to the history of the Reds, like like that just like adds like extra, like it just gets me that much more excited about like, you know, this guy sounds like a great fit. I love the excitement that he's already bringing. Um, hasn't even shown up for, uh, you know, we haven't even started spring training yet and I'm already starting to get excited where, whereas, you know, when he was a Dodger, like, you know, I'm aware of Puig, what he's able to do, um, and, uh, you know, hear about stuff, uh, good and bad, um, from a distance, but like, you know, actually seeing him wearing the Reds uniform, going around town and stuff, um, and, and the excitement and the knowledge of the history of the Reds. And, uh, he, you know, he genuinely seems like excited to be playing for the Reds this year. Like, and that's getting me really excited about, uh, this season, just that one player. Me too. Anybody, anybody who's excited to be part of our team, like legit excited to be a Cincinnati Red. I will always, it's why I always have a special place in my heart for Brandon Phillips. Like he loved being a Red. He wanted to be a Red. I, I, it stunk how that thing all played out at the end, but at the same time, like, he, he just – that's how we play Reds baseball. That's how, what he would say. This is how we play Reds baseball, and I, I just love that. I think Puig will be the same way. I'm hopeful he, he'll have a good year. I, I even think he's an extension candidate right now. I think the Reds right. should, should uh, approach it because I think it's possible that he has a really big year here and then becomes completely unaffordable for us. So um, I, I think he's worth considering because – down the road in the coming years, an outfield of Winker, Puig, and then Trammell or Trammell. I actually don't know how to say his name. I only read it all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I think that sounds like a, a, a very tough outfield to, to face in the batter's box. So, Yeah, definitely. And then, by the way, we also, you know, we mentioned Kemp, mentioned, mentioned Puig. We also got a left-handed starter, Alex Wood, who, um, you know, if if you don't know who this guy is or you don't, don't know, like, a lot about him, you know, just doing my research, looking at what he has done the past five years or so, like, I, I just don't even know how the Reds – how do the Reds get Kemp and Puig and then also get this left-handed starter – who, um, you know, we're talking about innings with Rourke. Uh, Wood has had the production, but he's also pitched 150-plus innings in four of the past five seasons as well. So, like, this is another guy that uh, when you really start to tear apart what the Reds have done this offseason and what they've paid compared to what they've received in return, it's like you feel like you have to pinch yourself. Like, Agreed. I, I thought this trade would have probably been okay even if Alex Wood wasn't in the deal. Like that—that's kind of moving off Homer Bailey. You had to trade prospects. You got Puig. You got Kemp. You're, you're showing up an outfield uh, more Puig than Kemp, in my opinion. But like Alex Wood to me is what everyone should know about Alex Wood is that he is better than you think. His career mm-hmm. ERA is three point two nine. His best year was two thousand seventeen. So we're only you know one full season removed from a year where he had a two point seven two ERA, uh, sixteen wins. He was striking out an average of one batter per inning, and he finished in the top ten in the Cy Young voting. I mean, his peripherals uh, last year were kind of in line with his career. Um, he just ran into a, a little bad luck, and uh, for some reason the Dodgers were giving up on him at times. Like the Dodgers were giving up on him at times, and. And so um, I'm not really sure why, because, you know, being here in Cincinnati, we don't catch as many Dodgers games on TV. Uh, But I think he's really kind of the key to this whole uh, pitching reshaping. I think he really has the potential of a great year. And the fact that he's in a contract year, I like because he's pitching for his next contract and that'll make him uh, work even harder. I believe these guys work hard every year, but I think there is a little something to be said about the contract here. Um, so I, am looking forward to him. Like, I think he's going to settle into that number two role. If, if my gut is correct and Castillo takes that leap, that Alex Wood's going to settle into that number two role and, and kind of be a mix there with, uh, Sonny Gray for, for that number two slot. And then Tanner work could, you know, can really fit anywhere. He's just going to eat innings. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited. I, I'm really excited about Alex Wood, thrilled about Puig and, and Matt Kemp's nice to have. Uh, I just, my, my hope is. He doesn't take too much t- playing time away from Jesse Winker because I, I think Winker 
has that on-base ability, which is something we need now with adding all these mashers. Right, definitely. Yeah, you, you need people to knock in, and uh, Winker will be that. Yeah, so then we've got our uh, final trade. Uh, happened a month after the Homer Bailey trade uh, to the day. Um, the Red sent Shedlong uh, and a competitive balance pick. Um uh, to the Yankees for Sonny Gray, and uh, I'm going to guess his name's pronounced River San Martin. Uh, it's not really as, as big a deal. Sonny Gray is the big prize, and um, this was just another one of those. I, I think it was just a very smart move, and then um, what made it even smarter is that the Reds were able to extend Sonny Gray before um, completing the trade. So they've got control over him for a few extra years, and um, and the contract doesn't. It's it's not a Homer Bailey contract. I mean, you're paying him less than uh, Homer Bailey is making uh, quite a bit. And um, you know, Sonny Gray. I I almost and a lot. I've seen a lot of Yankees say this. Like it seems like he maybe just suffered um, a little bit of becoming a Yankee, and some people kind of blossom under that spotlight and some people kind of wilt and uh i think i think in sunny gray's case especially when you look at those home away splits that he had um this is from 2009 2018 uh, in 59 innings at home he gave up 11 home runs had a 698 era but when he was away from yankee stadium uh, in 71 innings, he only gave up three home runs and had a 317 ERA. So um, it's almost like, you know, from, from people on the team and around the team saying that they think that he kind of, like it was maybe the, the New York spotlight that got to him. Like when you look at his home away splits, like with Puig in Los Angeles, uh, I think there's a case that could be made that uh, that's exactly what was going on in Sonny Gray's case. Yeah, I, I think he's a total change of scenery guy. Getting him out of Yankee Stadium, getting him out of that. I, I don't like to say that people can't handle the pressure because I believe when you're pitching on the national level in, in Major League Baseball, just like any sport, right. just getting there, you, you can handle this pressure. I, I'm with you that sometimes some players will get in their head when they have a little bit of a rough go. And then when the fans get on you, and I think it's not because the fans are on you about it that, that you get down about yourself or anything. I think it's that you really weren't trying to do too much to make right. up for what you haven't done. And so he seemed to be uh, having some struggles there. So getting him out of there and playing in our ballpark um, actually may help him because in looking at his stats over the years, especially it was 2015 and we're a few years removed from that, uh, but he's still young and he's been relatively good. His homers per nine innings is super low, super low, which is great. Mm -hmm for a great American ballpark. Um, what, what was interesting was that looking at the numbers, his, his walk rate had ballooned so much at Yankee stadium. And, I, and hopefully that disappears along with the pinstripes, you know, now that he's here. Uh, and since he read, um, I'm with you. I like the deal. I think the extension is everything at 10 million a year. Or so um, he doesn't have to be an ace. He really doesn't. He just has to be better than Homer Bailey, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing when you, Look at the pitchers that the Reds acquired. Uh, they did not get Corey Kluber. They did not get uh, Clayton Kershaw. They didn't get these crazy aces. But how the Reds are built, you don't need to have an ace to win baseball games. Uh, the Reds have a solid bullpen. The Reds have a great offense that has actually gotten better somehow during this off season and um, you just need competent pitchers, competent starting pitchers is like the big glaring need that the Reds had and getting these three guys, these three very solid, capable, proven at the major league level pitchers, I think is exactly what the Reds need to um, move forward with what they're doing. Just, just get us to the seventh inning. Just get yeah. us to the seventh inning. And then our bullpen, and I believe bullpens, bullpens come and go. You really, no matter how much you think you can predict a bullpen, 
you, you really can't. The numbers bear it out. Someone who's great one year is not always great the next year. The ones that have consistency are rare. Um, and that's why those guys tend to get more money than others. But uh, if these starting pitchers can just eat some innings with keeping the runs reasonable, I'm with you. I think we'll score a ton of runs. I don't think we have a problem with that. And I don't think you need an ace in the postseason. I think those days have kind of vanished. I, I think that was true 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But now, you know, other than a handful of guys that you throw out there, maybe Kluber, Kershaw, Scherzer, after that, you have other guys who, who you can beat. I mean, you really can. So I, I think we addressed everything that we needed to. You know, would it have been nice to get Kluber? Sure. It, the cost would have been high. If they were asking for Sinzel, would I consider it? I would have considered it. I'm not sure if I had to pull the trigger. Uh, it would have had to. I would have had to examine the other pieces of that deal. But I would have considered it. Um, that said, I like our rotation. I like it better than start, our starting rotation last year for sure. So yeah, definitely. I mean that. Or, I mean, uh... <laughs> that's an easy statement. To, in fact, I I think. Oh God! I think like Nick Kroll, the GM, or even uh, Williams said that kind of similar thing, and everybody laughed at him. Like, well, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm doing the same thing, but doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is. I think this is probably like I think you've really got to go back to like maybe 2015 or later to have a better on paper rotation coming into the season. Um, it's 2000. Well, we know last year uh, we only had one pitcher go over 150 innings and that's uh, Castillo who uh, we're hoping uh, takes that next step to become an ace this year. Um, 2017, the most innings pitched by a pitcher was Tim Adelman with 122. We only had two pitchers pitch over hundred innings in 2017 uh, in 2016, uh, we only had three pitchers, uh, three of the top five innings eating pitchers in 2016 were starters. Two of the top five were relief pitchers. That's how oh. bad the starting pitching has been the past three years. It's been, it's been ridiculously, um, bad and unreliable. And I think Rourke, Gray and Wood are going to be these huge stabilizers um, in the middle of the rotation um, to, to, to really help the Reds uh, start playing competitive baseball again, start winning yeah. baseball again. Just give us a chance. Just give yeah, us a chance. Exactly. That's all That's all we want. And I, you know, I'm with you. I feel like our starters haven't been doing that the past couple of years. And, and there's a couple I think are okay. I think Sal Romano was okay. Um, uh, Robert Stevenson you know, toward the end of the year looked a little bit better, but uh, he still just walks so many people. Can't seem to to get it squared away. Cody Reed, I want to love. Like, I like this guy, and yet he really shows very little um, and has had very little success, so you can't count on it yet. I still, I'm with you. You said this a while ago. Your big guy that uh, that you claim was going to be the next star for the Reds is Tyler Malley, and I still agree with you. I, I After yeah. watching him, even though he had some meltdown midseason, he was young. It was kind of a big, bigger jump for him. Um, and it sounded like he tried something new and management wasn't happy about him and doing that midseason or whatever. Either way, I don't care. Like, I think he's slotting into the rotation next year or the next guy in the line if somebody gets hurt. And I still believe he's going to be really good. Um, just give us some time on that. But in the meantime, stabilizing this rotation. Um, I like the pickups. I think they're good gambles. We haven't mortgaged the future too badly or anything like that. And uh, and it's there's still potential that we could do more moves. Probably not for the rotation, but yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe uh, you know, as we're uh, doing this podcast, you know, we've we've been for a few weeks now on the cusp of the Reds possibly trading for JT uh, Real Muto um, from the Marlins. We'll see if it happens or not, or if the Padres end up winning that uh, competition, but. Uh, uh, We'll see. Hopefully, like the you know, in the next week or two, we'll be able to talk about uh, yet another trade. Yeah, that, I'm all we'll for see. it. And if it, if the rumors are true and it's costing us Jonathan India, 
and potentially a couple other prospects, as long as there's other po- prospects or pitching prospects, I'm cool with it. Let's <laughs> 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 make it happen. And I, I like Tucker Barnhart. Uh, two years ago, Tucker Barnhart was amazing. Uh, won the gold glove and, and deserved it by a lot. But if you actually look at his numbers from last year, offensively he wasn't as good. Defensively he really wasn't as good. I don't know what happened or he just had a fall off. He, he wasn't throwing out runners as much and his pitch framing skills went down. I think that will rebound some this year. But, I mean, and, and I love Tucker Barnard and he's a gamer. Yeah. But if you, you can add the best catcher in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the main thing. Like, yeah, if, if the Reds make that move, it's not – I. I don't feel like it's a slight against Barnhart as much as it is just you had a chance to get the best player at a position in baseball. So like you, you if imagine you, if you have that opportunity, you take it. <laughs> and, and lastly, like, can you imagine that lineup? If you got Real Muto, um, oh, that, that, that like, lineup, I mean, I mean, where, where other than center field, well, assume, let's assume Puig plays center field. Let's even put him there or, yeah. or, uh, Sinzel. It's like, Senzel's the the question mark, so you wouldn't know. But other than that, I mean, Peraza made such great strides last year. Um, Scooter will be Scooter. I think he's proved it out over the past couple of years here. Right. You've got Joey. You've got Suarez. Suarez. Jesus. And Puig. And then then you've got, yeah, and then you've got, well, let's say that the, the outfield is uh, uh, Puig, Shebler, and Winker. That means that coming off the bench um, at some point this year, you've got Kemp. And Senzo, uh, 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 Casali or Casali, however mm-hmm. you pronounce his last name, uh, our backup catcher, like, he's actually, I, I feel like he's one of the most underrated members of the team. Uh, you've got, like, a very potent bench behind a very potent starting lineup. I mean, uh, it's kind of scary. Like, if that, that real... <laughs> Mudo trade goes through like I'm already uh, uh, buying my World Series tickets for this year. <laughs> you're planning a couple planning a couple summer trips up to Great American Ballpark. Well, I, I'll be there for sure. You know, I work from home, so day games are no big deal for me. Uh, <laughs> sneak down. They have it's, Wi-Fi there. It's gonna happen. Goes through. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I, I am really excited about this, and I, I think the only thing that stays in, stands in their way is uh, really the big thing that stands in their way is the uh, the competition in the NL Central. It's just it's a lot of good teams. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, I think the Reds have definitely they've they've put themselves in a spot where the National League Central was already the toughest division, and and now they the Reds have actually added to that challenge. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, uh, people are going to look at the reds. It's like the doormat of the division there. No, I right in there with everyone else. I agree. I I don't think there's anybody who says like, they're definitely finishing in last. Like they have the past four years and which is exciting. And the, the upside, I keep remembering the upside with all of this for anybody who was, you know, a huge Jeter downs fan or shed long or anything like that. If, this doesn't work out. I love it. I think they're calling it the one-year experiment for the Reds. The one year we're going for it for one year. I I know it's not true, but like it does feel that way with some one-year contracts in there. Um, the the upside is if for some reason this thing implodes and doesn't work, and we're, and we're headed down that terrible path of ninety losses again. Boy, do we have some trade ships. No doubt. Yeah. I mean that that's what. Yeah. When people start talking about the one-year contracts, I'm just like, well, you know. If things don't work out, we're going to be flipping those for prospects. We're going to be getting prospects back, and um, and it's not like every position where there's like the one year thing. You have we have got talent in the red system that should be ready to come up next year, if not the end of this year. Uh, at pitching, you've got Tyler Malley, you've got Vladimir Gutierrez, uh, Tony Santolin, who um, is a top 100 prospect right now. You know, you've got some pitching talent uh to throw in there uh to try out uh, you know if we end up trading people at the end of the year or if people end up walking at the end of the year and then um center field you know we've got like jose siri and uh tj friedel and uh, taylor trammell and you know there's a lot of good outfield talent that's on the cusp of coming in so like the reds i feel like the reds have like all the youth i like this move 
getting major league ready talent already on the roster. And then, you know, we'll see what happens this year. And then they can make moves uh, based off of that. I don't feel like the Reds mortgaged anything to make these moves because we've still got Senzel and Trammell and uh, Hunter Green. Like we still have all the, like the huge chips that, uh, that you want to have. So, yeah. And those are the guys who, other than Hunter Green are close to, or getting close to major league ready. So those are the guys you didn't want to sacrifice. So right. I, I'm with you. I'm excited. This is happening. So good stuff. I haven't started my <laughs> World Series bound chant yet, but uh, if we stay healthy, <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm certainly uh, you know me. I'm not <laughs> forever optimist. So all right. Well, um, yeah. So on that top five, on that five list, we had one last thing, and um, um, I'm wishy washy on whether the Reds actually need to do this or not. But uh, it was it's time to lock up Scooter. And I am totally for locking up Scooter, but I'm also fine if uh, Nick Senzel is the future at second base as well. So, like, I I really don't have an opinion as, as far as that goes. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about it, Brian. But I, I think as the Reds, you're sitting in a great position. You, yeah. you, can, you can judge it out and say if the dollars and years make sense for you as an organization um, with Scooter, then you do it. And if they don't, yeah. then you don't. And it's as yeah. simple as easy that. And I like Scooter. In fact, I, you know, after he's that one first, of my he's one of my favorites. I, uh, I, he's a he's a fan favorite for a reason. I, I think I agree. And he, uh, you know, after that first year, everybody's like kind of like a fluke. And then last year, he followed it up and and was again particularly good. I think part of it is his, his swing plays well in our ballpark. And I was also <laughs> reading that he is one of the the guys who worked on um, the launch angle aspect which you know i used to think was code for doing steroids but i don't believe it anymore because <laughs> the the data is backing it up that it, it is legit um and he's one of the guys that they they talked about how he, how it changed and had some success so you know i you know if it's a, a a few year deal and the numbers are right then absolutely let's do it especially if we aren't able to lock up Puig or one of those other positions um because we have senzel coming up and if not you let him walk and and you got people to fill in right away so I would be sad to see him go for sure, but yeah, I totally agree with all that. All yeah. that, yeah. So anyway, well, that was a really fun going over that that list of five things there. Um, it seems like the Reds addressed most of them, other other than the scooter extension. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, is there anything else that they missed? I don't think so. I, I am very, I'm very excited about what the Reds have done this off season, and I I just can't wait for the baseball to start. I mean, that's. That's the only downside to all these awesome moves is waiting, the, the waiting to, to actually see it play out. <laughs> <laughs> the waiting game is brutal, but it, it'll be here in no time. We'll thaw out and uh, be ready for opening day. So anyway, I want to thank everybody out there for listening today. We really, really uh, appreciate it. Uh, if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share with your friends. As always, always, please please let your friends know um, about these two diehard Reds fans who bleed since he read and want to just have some fun chatting Reds baseball and bring it into your car ride or while you're sitting at work. Uh, and of course, as always, a special thanks to our all-time favorite Red, Barry Larkin, for listening. I'm sure he's tuned in somewhere. Go Reds! Go Reds!